Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, I'm Daniel. I'm one of the small group leaders here at OCC, and I'm excited to be sharing with you today. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows is called Jeeves and Wooster. Uh, I wonder if you've seen this show. Uh, it's from the 90s, I, I believe. It's filmed in the 90s. You might recognize it, the actors in it. Uh, but the show is set in the 1920s in Britain, and it's about this uh, rich, young uh, aristocrat named uh, Bertram Wooster, <laughs> which is a very British and rich-sounding name. Uh, he's constantly getting himself into trouble throughout the show. Uh, one of the things he does is he accidentally proposes to rich women and has to like retract his proposal. Uh, he's constantly saying the wrong thing and just uh, really uh, gaff after gaff is what he does. And his loyal butler Jeeves is always in the background, uh, ready to rescue him. And he figures out these ingenious ways of placating the people that Birdie's offended, uh, while kind of maybe a little bit saving Birdie from, from the consequences of what he's done. And the show is really fun. It really, it, it pokes fun at our idea that people who are rich and powerful are, uh, competent. And actually in this, in this story, in this show, Jeeves, the working class guy, the butler, he's well read, he's well mannered, he's, he's put together, and, and he's the competent one. And so it kind of toys with that idea. I think it's a, it's a funny show. Uh, but one of the things I, I love about this show is, uh, no matter what happens, Throughout the episode, uh, no matter what terrible thing Brady does by accident, uh, Jeeves is going to rescue him by the end of the episode. Uh, things will be okay. I, I know it's going to turn out well. Uh, and if I'm being honest, man, I really I would love to have Brady's life. Like it'd be nice to be rich and have a butler. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but also just be nice to know whatever happens, whatever mistake I make, whatever goes wrong in life, that I'm going to get a quick, happy resolution. And by the end of the episode, that'd be great. And, you know, if, if we're being honest, uh, a lot of us think this way. We've, we've been conditioned by uh, TV shows and movies to expect a, a quick and happy resolution. Uh, it's kind of what we want and what we expect at times. Um, and, you know, if, if you like quick resolutions and happy endings, uh, the last two years have probably been torture for you in life. Uh, that's been the opposite of the case. Um, sometimes the ending is less than ideal, and there are issues more specific specifically wrong attitudes, wrong approaches we take in life that really sideline us and lead to a not-so-happy ending. Uh, in this series, we're looking at several churches that Jesus warned, uh, hey, the end is not going to be so happy if you don't change what you're doing. If, if you continue the way you're going, it's not going to be a, a good ending. Now, Jesus gives some pretty stern correction to one church in particular uh, in, the, in the town of Laodicea, the city of Laodicea. And in Jesus' words to this church, we can discover one of these sneaky derailers of life, one of these attitudes that can creep up out of nowhere and really sideline us and take us out. In fact, if we continue in this attitude for long enough, uh, Jesus, Jesus himself will sideline us. He'll take us out of commission. Now, these warnings that we're, we're reading about in this series, you know, they're given to these churches from the first century A.D., but they have importance to us now. They were for specific churches at that time, but these are, are written down to be uh, warnings to all, all churches for all time. And so Jesus has something to say to us through this passage. Now, to understand what Jesus is saying here, it's helpful to understand uh, 
the nature of the church of Laodicea, the town in which it existed. So uh, go back in time for me a second and, and, and look at this. This is where Laodicea is, was located. This is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, you can see that it's kind of, it's not super far from the coast, uh, but it's also in between some other major cities. So this area was, this city was a major, uh, uh, it was on a route for trade. And so there's a lot of wealth that got brought into the city because it was in a strategic location. Uh, Laodicea, the town, was also, it was built on a plateau uh, that was several hundred feet above the surrounding area. And why it's important is, uh, one, it offers a strategic defensible position. Uh, if there's an attacking army, you know, they'd have a hard time getting at the city. And so uh, you can imagine people who lived there probably felt pretty secure uh, from the threat and invasion. And there's also, in a sense, um, you know, they had the higher ground. They were they were above their neighbors. They could physically, literally look down on their neighbors. Uh, and so you get the sense that if you live in this city, you're really well off. Uh, you might feel superior to the people uh, that were living around you. Um, they were a prosperous city, and they were also involved in, in uh, banking. Uh, and so they had a lot of wealth. And uh, they also had um, some very important exports. Uh, they were famous for producing soft black wool. Take a look at this sheep. I didn't know these existed, but they're black sheep, real black sheep. And uh, they explored this wool. This is, again, brought in a lot of wealth. Uh, Laodicea was also an important center for ancient medicine. So they had a medical school there. They produced this eye ointment, which will come up later. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but it was exported throughout the Greco-Roman world, again, bringing in a lot of wealth. So uh, they have the financial industry, uh, their wool, their eye medicine. Um, those all come together to lead to this being a very prosperous town. And this city, this city could rely well on a secure location uh, and it's highly sought after resources. They were both wealthy and stable. Uh, they, they also had a large amphitheater uh, for entertainment, so that gives you an idea that uh, they, were, they were living well. If they could focus on entertainment, they, they weren't very concerned about uh, possible threats from the outside. Now, you can imagine that living in Laodicea was good. They had it all. Uh, they were secure, they were rich, and then possibly you know, they were also complacent. Uh, this was the cultural context in which the church of Laodicea existed. So let's read what Jesus says to the church found there. Uh, this is in Revelation 3, verse 14. Uh, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen. That's Jesus, uh, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So first, Let's notice that Jesus takes a personal interest in us. Uh, Jesus knows these people. He knows what they do for work. He knows what they, their hearts are wrapped around. He knows what they struggle with, what they have a hard time with. Uh, he takes a personal care for these people. And actually, Jesus takes the same personal care for you. 
that's incredible. Jesus knows what you do for work. He knows what you struggle with. He knows where your hangups are. He, he knows what your heart is wrapped around, what you care about, what you put your hope in. Jesus knows us. And uh, awesomely, Jesus knows OCC. Jesus knows our church. Uh, I'm, aren't you glad that Jesus knows us? And so when he offers correction to this church and when he offers correction to us, it's done in the context of care for people. Jesus cares about these people. And that's why he's talking to them in this way. So one of the first things we notice that Jesus wants these people to understand and wants us to understand as well is that security is deceptive. Security is deceptive. The people of this church looked at their resources, their wealth, their lack of need for anything, and they forgot that there's more to this world than just the physical. There's more to this world than just the material. Jesus tells them that their riches in this life blocked them from seeing that they were actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is saying here that their physical condition might not have been great. Uh, or rather, Jesus is saying that their physical condition might have been great, but spiritually they were bankrupt. They had nothing. These people thought they were doing great, thought they were winning at life, when they should have been aware of just how desperate their situation was. You know, that's us too sometimes. We can fool ourselves into thinking we're doing well, but Jesus, Jesus sees us as we really are. So Jesus instead encourages them to buy gold, buy white robes, buy ointment from him. Now, all these physical items, those have been plentiful in the city of Laodicea. So what is Jesus telling them to buy? He's not telling them to buy the physical. He's actually telling them to sacrifice the physical now to buy the spiritual later. Uh, here's a verse that can help us understand what Jesus is saying. Matthew six nineteen through 21 says this. This is Jesus speaking again. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knows that what we invest in shows what we care about. And it's clear that this church in Laodicea, they cared only about the physical. Uh, they were only invested in this life. Uh, in fact, this is a pretty, this is significant because Jesus is actually accusing this church of not knowing him at all. It's as if Jesus is saying, you have bank accounts on earth that are full, but I see your eternal bank accounts and it's empty. In truth, they have nothing in heaven because they're not his. They're spiritually bankrupt. And in fact, we all start life spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing for us in heaven because heaven is a place for perfect people and none of us are perfect. None of us meet that standard of perfection. More than that, heaven is a place for people who want to be with God and do life his way. And all of us want to do life our own way. Um, we need Jesus. By making him Lord or boss of our life, we allow for a divine exchange. Uh, Jesus takes on all of our imperfection. And we take on his perfection, making us right for God and fit to be with him. In that way, Jesus is the one who allows us to open a spiritual bank account. Uh, as we live for the life to come, uh, even while in this life, we store up treasures in heaven. As we love God and we love other people above ourselves, we start attaining true riches. And we can't do this without Jesus. Uh, I can't open my own spiritual bank account. It can't be done. Uh, I need Jesus' help. All the good works I can do in this life, they, they really mean nothing unless I, I take Jesus up on this offer for this divine exchange. Now, the second thing we notice is that riches, real riches, are eternal. Real riches are eternal. 
It's possible to spend all our lives enjoying good things and building up our savings account in the bank while neglecting our eternal savings account with God. Look at how this could happen. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, or whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Jesus is promising that if we live only for ourselves in our own comfort, we will lose our lives. We'll actually lose our life. Uh, I, I watched this movie recently, Citizen Kane's. A, it's a famous old movie. And I watched this recently with some friends from church. And uh, check out this scene. of um, This is a very wealthy man, uh, and this is the, the end of his life. Take a look. You know, this is very sad uh, watching this clip. Um, you know, he has so much, he has so many worldly possessions. He has a huge mansion, uh, but that mansion is not filled. He's about to die, but that mansion is not filled with friends and family uh, who, who he made an impact on. He's actually completely isolated. And the only people that are in his life are the people he's paid to be there, uh, a nurse and, 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 and some, some servants. And um, that's that's very sad. Uh, now you might be wondering what it, what does rosebud mean? And you kind of have to watch a movie to to learn more about that. But um, suffice to say, rosebud he's he's actually thinking about something from his childhood, and uh, it seems that he's longing for his childhood and the innocence that he had back then when he was poor and had nothing physically, but he was much happier than he is when he's about to pass away. And the implication is that though he was rich and powerful at the end of his life, he actually, he ended with, somehow, he ended with less than when he started. Uh, and this shows us a truth. This is a fictional story. It's based on a, a real-life person. But uh, this is true, that if we choose selfishness, in the end, we get nothing. If we choose selfishness, in the end, we get nothing. If we choose to hold on to our life, we actually end up losing it. Um, conversely, Jesus promises that if we give up our lives for his kingdom, if we make our life about his work, we're actually going to receive our lives back. Uh, when we focus on making God known to our world, we're actually living out God's purpose, his design for us. 
It comes naturally for us to be selfish, but we are in fact made for sacrificial service. Uh, sacrificial service is who we are at our best day, uh, on our best days. And it's really what we're designed for. And, you know, <laughs> it's easy to agree with this intellectually. It's much harder to live that way. I know it's true for me. Uh, it, it can be easy to identify, yeah, I agree. You know, security is deceptive. Real riches uh, are eternal. But it's hard to live that out. You know, when I, I read this passage, my mind rushes to the simple fix. I, you know, I read about this church and I think, you know, these people are obviously trusting riches and they should just trust Jesus. Problem solved, right? How hard is this, guys? You're doing bad. Just stop doing bad and just start doing good. And truthfully, it's not that easy. And it's actually not the solution that Jesus presents. Uh, this this uh, issue of uh, trusting their riches is really a symptom of a deeper disease. Uh, the disease is the same that one that we all deal with, is we want to be our own king. That's the root disease. Um, we want to have security and live our own way without Jesus' help. And even when we trust Jesus, uh, in the back of our minds, we have this thought of like, Jesus, I trust you, but you better not rip me off. Uh, and I know I struggle with that thought. Selfishness, particularly in the form of materialism or only caring about the physical, is very hard to root out, even when we understand the problem. Uh, our hearts are really going to be wrapped around what we give our lives to. So it's helpful to remember that we are given resources because we've been given a mission. Jesus wanted these people to sell it for the kingdom. He wanted them to leverage their wealth, not just to be secure in their own lives, but to build God's kingdom. Uh, as I read this passage, you know, I reflected on, man, how much trust do I put in the material? You know, my, my family and I, we, we have prioritized giving back to God through giving at, at OCC. And um, we do that out of obedience because we know it's right before God, but also because it's our joy to, to be involved in uh, what God is doing here at OCC to contribute in a way. Um, but, you know, over the last few years, especially the last year, you know, our expenses have risen. And there have been times where I've thought, wow, uh, I sure hope we're okay. Or, you know, gosh, we're giving a lot here. Uh, and and that's, that's where this issue comes up for me. Because in my heart of hearts, um, I'm really asking the same question of, can I really trust God? If I do this, is God going to rip me off? Uh, am I going to miss out on what I really want? And the truth is that the money that God has given me is actually not just for me. You know, it's from God and it's for God's purposes. Um, I have what I need to provide for my family and I've been given more so I can, I can give to the kingdom, uh, to give, to bless others, to be hospitable. That money is actually not mine. You know, my, my bank account says my name on it, but God is the one to whom I, I must give an account, uh, for my life at the end of my life. Um, so what gets in the way of, of us using our resources for this mission? It's selfishness. Um, it's selfishness is what blocks us from using our resources appropriately. So what do we do about this? We need to shift from selfishness to service. Uh, and it can, again, it can be easy to just say, that, problem solved. Just do it. Just stop doing bad things. Do good things. Stop being selfish and start being unselfish. Uh, and, and there's a writer, C.S. Lewis, who talks about this, this shift. So See what he says, and this is the, uh, the opening to his book, uh, The Weight of Glory. Here's what he says. If you ask 20 good men today what they thought, the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened. A negative turn has been substituted for a more positive 
uh, has been substituted for a positive, and this is of more than philological importance, semantics or, or word uh, word choice. Uh, the negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. And what Lewis is demonstrating here is that it's not enough to try to think our way out of unselfishness. We can't just focus on being un- unselfish. That's not possible. You cannot will your way out of being selfish. Uh, you can't just work really, really hard and change yourself. Um, the real solution to being selfish is not to focus on being selfless. It's to serve. It's to shift our focus from ourselves to others. So our response to this can be both uh, individual and corporate or, or group uh, group response. You know, Jesus addresses this message to a group, to a church of Revelation, in, in Revelation, uh, and so we can actually apply this to the whole church. At a corporate level, God wants us to use our wealth to build his kingdom. Uh, serving through giving is love lived out. Our resources are for the mission. Our resources as, as OCC, as a church, are for the mission God's given us to do. And then personally, we need to move from lukewarm to hot. Uh, you know, what does this passage mean when it says pe- these people were lukewarm? Uh, well, all people are born far from God, uh, spiritually cold, if you will. And we get around when we get around the things of God, we start to heat up. Uh, however, it's possible to be around the things of God and uh, to, to warm up slightly, but never really get past being lukewarm. And that's where these people were at. They were around church, around talking about the things of God, but their hope was still in their riches, not in Jesus. Uh, they never actually made a sacrifice to step into kingdom service. You know, personally, I I grew up leading a pretty lukewarm life. I, I was born and raised in a Christian home, uh, and following Christ never really cost me a whole lot. Uh, because the people around me were Christian and people that uh, I was surrounded by agreed with what I was doing. So it never really cost me a whole lot. And it wasn't until I left college that God brought this issue of selfishness uh, to a boiling point. Uh, you know, I graduated from college and I was studying for um, my big graduate school test and I was planning on going to graduate school and I had a career lined up and I I put a lot of uh, my hope in that future plan and I was looking forward to the security of just having a good paying career uh, and, and you know, having some stability from that. And it was almost as if God was challenging me on that, on that issue. He was. Um, I started to feel this tension. I, you know, I've been playing OCC for about two years and I had been dating my now wife, Katie, and I, I started to feel this tension of, like, if I let go of those things, church and Katie, you know, maybe I could do better in this career. Maybe I, I'd be more likely to succeed. And so I was really wrestling. I, I was living at, at my parents' home at the time, and I spent about a month uh, trying to figure out, can I, God, can I, can I just do my plan? Can you just let me do my plan? Uh, and I felt this, this tension because God was really asking me to put his kingdom first. Uh, to step out of unsel- to step out of selfishness uh, into loving others first, and for me, the decision I, I, I had to make is I, I moved out from my parents' place, and um, it was really hard. Um, you know, on paper, it didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't make a lot of sense to some people, um, but I realized that the, the path I was on was not going to end happily. I realized that if if I knowing myself, if I continue the way I was going. Uh, I would end up in life, I'd be isolated. I, you know, I might have a great paying career, but I wouldn't have any relationships. I, I, I wouldn't be uh, 
serving, I would, I would change my entire focus of life to myself and I would get stuck there. Uh, and so I had to make a, do something dramatic and I, I moved out and at the time I didn't have a, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. Uh, I didn't, my laptop had broken. I didn't have a phone. And, and so I, I basically God took away all my security and for the first time in my life, I really had to trust God to come through for me. If he didn't, I would just crash and burn. And so I was trusting God in my own, in my own personal life in a new way. And that was really helpful. God really used that. Now, you know, I, I hope you don't have to experience that. I hope you don't. Um, for me, that was just, that was my situation and how, how God helped me grow. Um, but perhaps you're at the point in your life where following Jesus is really going to cost you something. And to this point, maybe it hasn't, but Making a step forward, making Jesus boss your life is going to cost you putting yourself first. It might cost you control over your bank account. You're not going to be able to control it like you used to. Maybe you might have to treat people differently at work, and that's going to be awkward and lead to more conversations that you don't want to have. Um, Making Jesus boss means he gets a say in how we operate. Uh, We have to lose our life to get it back. You know, you might be listening to all this and thinking, you know, I think I am lukewarm. I, I think I feel like I'm just kind of in the middle. Well, it's not too late. Even though Jesus rebukes this group in Laodicea for being lukewarm, look how he ends his, uh, his message to these people. He says, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, Jesus' antidote for selfishness, his solution for selfishness, for living for the wrong things is not for you to fix yourself uh, and then approach God. It is for Jesus to come in and eat with you. That's incredible. The implication is that Jesus wants us to start by knowing him. He wants us to start with spending time with him, reciprocating his love for you. Time with Jesus is the only way to move from lukewarm to hot. That's the only way that happens. When we look at where we are versus where we should be, perhaps that can be daunting and discouraging. But, you know, step one is have a meal with Jesus. And we can all do that. If you hear him knocking, it's because he loves you. Uh, And all you need to do is open the door to allow him in. You know, if you're a Christ follower, uh, don't move past having dinner with Jesus. We never outgrow the need to sit down with Jesus. We'll never exhaust his company. We'll never run out of things to talk about, uh, things that, both needs and praises that we need to talk to Jesus about. As long as we're on this mission, on this battlefield, we need to spend time with our commander, uh, getting instructions, but also receiving encouragement. So take a look at these possible next steps. First, have a meal with Jesus. You know, don't fuss, don't, uh, don't change out your sweats, don't wait, open the door, sit down, have a meal with Jesus. Um, he's ready to meet you where you're at. Um, if you've never done that before, you know, it could be as simple as saying, God, I've been putting my trust in the wrong things, in, in the material, and I want to trust in you for the first time. Uh, I allow Jesus into my life. I want to have a relationship with God through Jesus. And would you please forgive me uh, for the for misplacing my trust in the wrong things and allow me to live in a new way that, uh, that honors and glorifies you? Uh, and it could be that simple, uh, a prayer like that. And if, if you're interested in that, let us know, and we'd love to be help for you in that area. Now, another next step is you can identify uh, an area you need to move from selfishness to service. Uh, it could be in your in your bank account. It could be in how you treat your, your family. It could be how you spend your time. Um, and then lastly, 
you know, God, has God blessed you with physical wealth? Uh, does God want you to move your heart towards the heavenly things by giving sacrificially? Um, what is uh, what is giving sacrificial look like for you? Spend some time praying about that. Consider, um, does God want me to shift my trust in, in a new way from, from what I have to, to who he is? Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.